this is the third message of what I thought was going to cover the book in five messages. I don't think I'm going to cover the book in five messages now, since we're still in chapter one. We should not take four years like Matthew, though, I'm pretty sure. Ruth chapter one, verse number 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. This is going to be uh, Naomi and Ruth. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the harvest. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing, Lord, upon it today. Lord, I pray, one, you'd be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray that you help me to stay faithful to your word. Lord, I pray that it would help us. It would draw us closer to you. And Lord, that your spirit would do the work in our hearts and our lives. Please, may we grow from your word today. May it have that free course. I pray for your grace and your mercy. Lord, if there is anyone here that has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray that conviction and that drawing upon their heart this morning, that even today they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, may you be glorified. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The devil is a master at getting you to believe a wrong view of God. He wants to affect your perspective of how you view God and how you view life. If he can change that, he can affect the entire direction of your life. He can get you to a place of bitterness. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Think back of, uh, of the conversation. We're not going to go there for time's sake here this morning. But think of the conversation that he had with Eve. He wanted Eve to believe that God was hiding something from her. That, that God was not who she thought he was. Because you will respond based on how you view God. He understands based on how he can twist your perception of God. It affects how you serve God. It affects your obedience to God. It affects your love, your loyalty, and your faith. The devil does this not only on a personal level. We can see him doing it in the world on a grand scale on this earth. He has some believing in pantheism, that God is in creation, that creation is God. Complete nonsense. But he's affecting people's view of God. He gets some to believe in polytheism, that there's many gods. And people respond accordingly. Some even believe in idols. That still takes place today, where people actually believe something made out of human hands is somehow deity. Deism, which was popular when this nation was getting started. The belief that there is a God, but you can't really know Him personally. 
people's understanding and view of God has a lot to do with what we see across the board under the guise of Christianity. Even for us, like we see here with Naomi, the devil likes to distort our view of God to something that is not true. Because that will affect how you serve him. Again, make no mistake, how you view God affects how you serve God. Naomi, at this point, we're going to see, has a wrong view of God. She has a wrong perspective. The devil commonly uses trials, or even our own heart. Our own heart is desperately wicked. Our own mind can take us to places where it wants to go at times. And many times, trials can distort or cause us to doubt God and doubt His goodness. Remember, we looked at that last week of things to remember, to know that God is good. It's who He is. We looked at all that happened to Naomi last week. How her life started out with such promise, marrying Elimelech, such big dreams. Then the famine strikes soon after, and they have to leave. The place referred to as the house of bread is very little food as a famine sets in. Her husband making the decision to leave and take his family to Moab. Naomi found herself in a strange land with people that don't really like her, away from her home, away from the people she knew, the places she knew. And then once there, tragedy begins to strike. Her husband dies. Again, as we talked last week, her life going a different direction than what she planned. And that's what we focused on last week. What to do when life takes you a direction that you never saw coming. Her children then marry. They married women from Moab. That would have been met with mixed feelings, no doubt. But then another direction she did not see life taking was once her children married, her two sons married, they had no children. And then another tragedy. Both her sons are killed. It's at this point she decides to return both her daughter-in-laws commit to go with her, but she, once they leave, she turns and pleads and says, listen, you need to stay. You're not even going to be able to marry when you come back to my place. Just stay here. She prays God's blessing for him. Uh, Orpah decides, yes, I, I'm, going to, I, I'm going to go ahead and stay, but Ruth cleaves to her. We have that great statement in Ruth 1.16. Now she says, your God will be my God. Whether thou goest, I go. Where thou dwellest, I will dwell. Thy God, my God. She commits to it for her entire life, saying, saying, that's where I'm going to be buried, back there in Israel. And she finishes it with an oath before God. All these trials have affected how she views God. She has, as we can see in chapter 1, Naomi has a strong sense of the sovereignty of God, and I would say even demonstrates strong faith. But in this is where the attack comes. 
It's where her view gets changed. She starts to believe God was against her. That it was the Almighty who has afflicted her. She blames God. There is a danger here. You begin to open the door for bitterness to come in. We left off last week with Ruth committing to travel with Naomi, to live with her, to help her, all the way back to the town of Bethlehem. So let's look now at two things here this morning. Her arrival in Bethlehem and her attitude. And we're going to see this can help us. We can see what begins to take place when bitterness starts to creep in. And the importance of removing bitterness immediately before it takes root. Let's look first at her arrival. The Bible really tells us nothing of the journey going back in this story. It just says, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. The journey itself would take some time, probably seven to ten days. Probably about 65, 70 miles they had to travel. They would have to pass through two different mountain ranges. Bethlehem was a beautiful town, still is really. It would have walls at this time and a gate. You know, I, I've talked about Bethlehem. We go through the Christmas messages. You hear a lot of times how people portray Bethlehem and Jerusalem as this cold area in the winter. It really is not. It's very pleasant year-round. Averages around 73 degrees in the summertime. In the wintertime, it averages about 57 degrees. There would be fertile fields of vineyards and, and fig trees and olive, olive orchards and wheat fields and all kinds of stuff. It is estimated by different archaeologists that the population of Bethlehem at this time would be pretty small, probably less than 1,000. Today it's close to 30,000. So it's a very small town and everyone knows everyone. So you can just imagine as they come through the gates. We can see it says in verse 19, And it came to pass when they are come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, Is this Naomi? They have arrived. I could just imagine Naomi coming into Bethlehem after all these years. Seeing the very roads she used to walk. The places she used to play with her children, her young boys. Her old home. It might even be, she refers to home, it might even be the very house she's going to stay in. The emotions would be high and tears would be flowing. I could just imagine she came through. Probably didn't take too long, maybe a few hours even, before perhaps a relative or an old friend began to recognize her. I'm sure it took a few seconds, but they began to ask, Is this Naomi? What's happened? She becomes the talk of the town, especially among the women. It talks in verse 19, it says, All the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? The word they there is unique in Hebrew. It's feminine, referring to the ladies of the town. So she becomes the talk of Bethlehem. The word moved there means to make an uproar, to cause excitement. 
I would think the reaction was mixed on her return. I would think there's a small percentage maybe had some scorn for her family leaving during that famine, during the hardship and not helping and not staying. But deciding to head of all places to Moab, I could see that being a possibility. But I do believe the most certainly had compassion. Many glad to see her, her old friends, her relatives, their old neighbor again coming home. They all remembered how beautiful she was. And they see a different woman. They remember that there was a happy family. All the promise that was there. And now she's returned. And her life is actually serving as an object lesson before the town of Bethlehem. So she has returned. And now where I want to focus is her attitude. Look at her response to the town talking about her. Verse 20 and 21. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. When then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. We see how her attitude is through all the trials. And remember, her life, it's, it's not nearly to the same degree, but the only other person at the time that comes to mind with what she faced is Job. But in truth, she does not have the same reaction that Job has. She tells the people not to call her Naomi, but Mara. Again, Naomi means fair and pleasant, where, where Mara means bitter. She refers to God by His name Almighty. It's interesting, because that's not actually used a whole lot in the Old Testament. About 48 times. In the book, it's primarily used in is the book of Job. Of the 48 times, at least 31, 32 of those are in the book of Job. The other concentration is in the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then just a couple times elsewhere, and that's it. When she speaks... She blames God for what happened to her. Her perspective is off. This opens the door for bitterness. Now, I do not believe, and we're going to see that, I do not believe that bitterness has taken root in Naomi's life. I believe it was just setting in as she was thinking all that that she believed that God did to her. She's looking at everything that struck, and, and she's putting it, the Almighty hath afflicted me. But I don't believe it's taken root. We're going to see that in chapter 2 because of how she responds when she hears of Boaz. Even though she tells the people to call her bitter. And the word bitter here is the same one used many times in the Old Testament, including in Exodus when Pharaoh made the children of Israel bitter by the hardships he put on their life. She's looking at all that has occurred in her life and all the tragedy that has come upon her and she blames God. He is the one who has done this. She can no longer see beauty. Bitter is dangerous. Bitterness is very dangerous. And when you start to see it, you need to stamp it out. 
keep in mind, it's clear by Naomi's words, this was a woman who I've already mentioned had a strong view of God's sovereignty, which I like. It's a good thing. Of knowing God is in control. But at the same time, her understanding of this doctrine she held so true and it brought her such comfort in times past has now been affected by the trials that have come into her life and it's been skewed and perspective is off. So she blames God. God hath dealt bitterly against me. He's testified against me. That's a judicial uh, term in Hebrew used only in court. We do not blame God for the decisions we make. Nor do we blame God for the results that many times happen to all of us as the result of a sin-cursed earth. We, we talked much about that last Sunday and understanding that God is good. Naomi was losing that perspective. God does not sit up in heaven and say, listen, who am I going to afflict now? But there are consequences to choices we make. There are consequences even when the leader of the whole makes decisions that are not in God's will. Many times, I mean, the truth is, we know this from Old and New Testament, you reap what you sow. Sometimes we reap and we reap and then we pray for a crop failure. It doesn't work that way. So what evidence do we see here that bitterness is starting to take a hold of her? We're going to see it in three areas. Her view of the past, her view of the present, and her view of the future. Again, bitterness affects how you view life. It affects how you view your circumstances. You see things very skewed. And this is what you miss when bitterness begins to take hold. You miss beauty and you miss truth. You no longer can see those things. Sometimes it's a willing, a willingly... Uh, it's being willingly ignorant. It's not wanting to see it. Ironically, it's almost as if your bitterness becomes a source of comfort. And you don't want to let it go. But let's start off by looking at her view of the past. Look at verse 21. She says, I went out full. She said she went away full, but is that true? She forgets when she left with the sadness and why they were leaving. She forgot a famine has struck. More than likely, we know that this is probably taking, we know it's during the time of the judges, and we go through the book of the judges, what is the most likely time we see that a famine has struck? And it's during the time when the Midianites came in. They're under oppression. There's no food, and they're leaving. They're not leaving full. They're leaving with sadness and grief. They're leaving with concern and worry. She is overstating, now don't miss this, she's overstating the blessings of the past, the goodness of the past. She's forgetting some things.
Many of our family were staying behind. They were leaving because they, the fact is there was a level of emptiness about them. They were low on faith, low on food, possibly even low on funds. We too can begin to despair of the current day. When you lose proper perspective on the past. Too often you begin to lose your joy when this takes place. Perspective changes and you see the good old days and how it was. And you view it much better than it actually was. You see the good old days in a way and the only thing you can think about is just how great it was, how good it was and how miserable it is now. And only thing you're doing is allowing a place in your heart and in your life for bitterness to remain. To stay right there. And you're missing out on the opportunity you have at life today. Again, we can begin to focus on the good old days and how much better it was. And miss out still on the goodness of God in our life right now. And like Naomi, your view becomes skewed. You forget the hardships of the past and you just see the good. You overstate what it was like, choosing to ignore even the trials and struggles that were there. When it comes to the past, we're to learn from the past and not live in the past. Remember when Israel came, came out uh, of Egypt and entered into the wilderness? And what did they face? Some trials. Trials that, that they didn't expect. And what did they remember about Egypt? The slavery, the bondage, the bitterness they were in? Oh no, 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 they don't remember that. Let's go back. I remember the cucumbers. I remember all those vegetables and the fruits. They were overstating what it was like in Egypt and choosing to forget the hardships they actually faced. It's exactly what Naomi's doing right now. Oh, when I left, I was full. Everything was great. Life was good. It's simply not true. And when you begin to focus on the good old days, this helps you maintain your bitterness. We also see her view of the present is skewed. I went away full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Well, I, I believe she's had, as we looked at last week, and you would want to listen to last week's message um, in, in context of this week's message, unless you think I'm too hard on Naomi, because I'm not. Because there's, very, there, there's, there's just not a whole lot of people that have, in Scripture that have went through such trials like she did. Her life would have been very difficult. Uh, I mean, almost from after marriage and all the promise she had and then all that she had to go through. But her view of the present is also skewed. She states, I'm returning empty. But that's not true either. One, she has Ruth with her. She has Ruth. Little does she see how God can use Ruth to change her life. 
She has family there, a home there. In Bethlehem. She has her friends there. The fact is, there's kinsmen there. She's not returning empty. Is her life difficult and hard? Oh, it is. It's an amazing, sad, tragic story up to this point. But it's during those trials we have to be so careful that, that we don't allow it to distort. And Because if bitterness begins to take hold, listen, which again, I don't believe it does, but if she allows the bitterness to take hold and begins to take comfort in that bitterness, I'm telling you, it would not matter when she hears about Boaz. So often we forget about all of God's blessing and his provision in our life when trials do hit. We forget how he still is right there. Of where he still does protect and help and give strength and grace. Many times that's simply because we want our bitterness. Bitterness can steal your eyes, your vision. You see only the bad in your current situation. And you can't see how God is still blessing and still helping and still there. We all need that at different times. At times you can go through different trials and things come up and and, and your perspective gets skewed. It happens to all of us. You have to remember about God's blessings. I can remember time and time again, different times in life where different things would be taking place. And uh, Marianne would sit down and say, listen, you're forgetting about this. And I'd realize I am. My view was getting skewed because of the trials. That's what I was becoming obsessed with and missing where God was working. Bitterness can change how you see the past. It can change how you see your present, but also your future. She addresses nothing about her future, even though she, has, she made the right decision to return to Bethlehem. But she mentions nothing about the future of, of, of the Lord. Verse 22 goes on to say, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. She's still not seeing yet the hope of her future. She mentions nothing of it. Yet she should be saying, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. But that's hard to hope in God when you believe, you actually believe He's against you. Yet even with all this, you see the Lord's grace, mercy, and strength. Boy, He certainly loves her. In verse 22, we already see God working. They arrive at the time of the barley harvest. Please don't think that's a coincidence. The Lord knew exactly when they needed to arrive in Bethlehem. Romans 8.28, and the very view that was held strongly by Naomi is still in play, even though her view of it is skewed. God's sovereignty. 
It is not an accident at the moment they came into Bethlehem. God is going to use that time frame to change the course of their life. He's still in control. Even in the middle of a present distress, you have to remember God is working. You have to trust Him. You allow that to serve as hope. As I've already said, why art thou cast down on my soul? Hope in God. There's danger when bitterness begins to set in. And again, there is no way that Naomi let it take hold because of what happens in chapter 2 when we get there. But like Naomi, we have to be able to remove bitterness before it takes hold. It will steal your joy. You're no longer able to see the blessings you have, all that you have in Christ, all that the Lord has done for you. You begin to focus solely on the negative. You become consumed with your hurt or your injustice or your pain. That's what you focused on. Instead of the goodness and greatness of God and all that you actually have in Christ. It can take over your life. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Two verses here, 14 and 15. This gives us some help on how to deal with bitterness. Fourteen and fifteen. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Notice the punctuation, it's important for where I'm going. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I believe this gives us some 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 truth on how to deal with bitterness, some principles that we need. One, just like I believe Naomi did, you deal with it quickly. The, ver- the one thing that I, that I do love about Naomi was the moment she recognized, and we're going to see this when we get into chapter 2, Boaz and who he was. She did not remain in that state of bitterness. She saw what God could do. She responded to that. Many times in bitterness, you get to the point, you still know what God to do, but you choose to ignore it. You have to take care of bitterness quickly. If you don't, just like it says in that verse, lest, lest it takes root. Listen, prevention is always easier than removal. Don't let a real hurt or a genuine injustice lead to a justification for bitterness in your life. It says here, that's helped us, we are to follow peace with all men. That's going to help you deal with bitterness. In order to follow peace with all men, do you know what's going to have to be a part of your life? Forgiveness. The ability to forgive others. There's no way you can obey that without forgiveness being in place. Bitterness will have a very difficult time in the life of a person 
when that person has the ability to forgive. But many say, but look what they've done. I am not going to let them off the hook. You're not letting them off the hook. You're letting yourself off the hook. So your life doesn't be consumed with the injustice. And you remember what God has done for you. That life is about Him. A quote from a preacher from hundreds of years ago. The soil of bitterness is at a heart that harbors hostility and does not deal with hurt by the grace of God. You deal with hurt by the grace of God. The reality is, in many times when a great injustice and hurt has occurred, grace is needed for forgiveness to happen. Grace is unmerited favor. It's allowing for something to take place that the other person doesn't deserve. Forgiveness and grace are key to overcoming bitterness and removing it before it takes hold. You can tell if a person is struggling with bitterness and a lack of forgiveness because they'll be critical all the time. They've stymied grace. They've stymied forgiveness. And it can begin to show up. It also gives another clue in how to deal with it. You've got to deal with it quickly. You follow peace with all men and you follow after holiness. A genuine desire for holiness. What holiness does is this. You have to remember what holiness is going to do for you. It reminds you of how wicked you are. It does. When you begin to strive for holiness, you, you can really see how weak, how sinful you are. And that you need grace. How far you are from perfection. Because the closer you get to God, the more wicked you see yourself. The more thankful you are for His grace. The more likely you are to forgive. Because many times, and we're all prone to it, doesn't matter who you are. What's at the center of unforgiveness is pride. With pride comes contention. This is fertile ground for bitterness to take root. You start focusing on the hurt. You start focusing on the injustice. You can't let it go. It consumes your mind. Forgiveness no longer becomes an option. They don't deserve it. Grace is out the window. Bitterness can now thrive in your heart. You've got to remove it before it takes hold. Because then it takes your life. It becomes what you're about. Again, I've, I've referred to it before, but I had an aunt who, is, who has since passed away. And she had some pretty good injustices done under her. Um, they were genuine hurts. There was nothing fake about it. She was lost. As far as I know, she died in a lost state. 
we're, I was raised in a Catholic family, and to my knowledge, well, she had left the Catholic Church and went, in, went into a New Age craziness, but that's neither here nor there. Um, when I became an adult, and a few times I would get to spend with her, we would have talks at length. She was the oldest of my dad's siblings, uh, the oldest of four. And, and she had some genuine hurts and injustice done to her by dad. Nothing dramatic or jail-worthy. But nonetheless, some genuine hurt was there. Then it got much worse after she married. Married a very successful man. An attorney. And very successful at it. Still to this day, one of the most successful in the Cleveland area. But about... I don't know what it was, eight, ten years in the marriage, he left her for a much younger woman to whom he's still married to today. That bitterness took hold. It never left her. That hurt became her life. The lack of forgiveness, again, she didn't see, she, she failed to see that it wasn't about him, it was about her life that never got on track after that. Never. It was just about that injustice and that hurt. It can take over your life. When we strive after holiness, again, you begin to see the grace that you need as a sinner. You begin to realize the truth is, I'm not much better. I'm wicked as well. It's something we all need to remember. Holiness also has put you in a place where God, you can be yielded to the Spirit of God in your life. Why is that important? Because it removes the, flesh, uh, the, the, the flesh's ability to be in control of your life. Making it much less likely for bitterness to take root. Desiring holiness provides a measure of, of strength to be diligent against bitterness. Why do you think holiness is attacked so much today? It is. It's attacked. It's completely forgotten about. We live in a day when we almost want to run from the idea of holiness. Listen, that's not an accident that that's occurred. There's a measure of protection with it. Let me finish with this. The Bible says in two places, I'm forgetting both places, uh, this is 2 Samuel and, uh, is it Hosea? Actually, I think I went through Hosea. I'm trying to remember. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. It was a deer. The deer's protection was his feet. He stepped me upon my high places. The hind had the ability, much like we see with the different sheep here in Alaska, to go up into the high mountains. That protected them from all of its predators. The moment it came down from the high, mo uh, the high mountains, now it was an easy prey. And the Bible says, He maketh our feet, us, like hind's feet, and setteth us upon our high places. A good way to see that is the protection that holiness gives us. It sets us upon our high places. 
It provides a measure of protection in our life. As well as then enabling us to be the light and salt that we need to the world. So, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. We see her arrival, the talk of the town. But we also see she blames God for everything that happened. The Almighty has done this to me. He has testified against me. She doesn't see it as the result of the decision of her husband to move. It's a fatalist view of life. Listen, God is in control and He is sovereign, but make no mistake, in His sovereignty, He has given us the choice of free will. And there are consequences to the choices that we make as God's creation who's made in His image. And on top of that, it's a sin-cursed earth and trials or struggles are going to hit us. But none of that changes that God is good. With heads bowed and